This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 836. What's going on, everyone? It's David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, the biggest, the best, the baddest real estate podcast in the world. Every week, bringing you the stories, how tos, and the answers that you need in order to make smart real estate decisions now in today's market. And we have got a show for you today. Rob and I will be interviewing Lindsay Duguay, who is a multifamily operator, small multifamily operator, a little bit of single family mixed in there. She's done a lot of things, but she's done well with the Burr method and long distance real estate investing, two things that we both know that I'm passionate about. And she's proven a lot of people wrong along the way. Rob, what are some things that you think people should look out for in today's episode? I think for anyone that's at home listening to this podcast, if you have reached a plateau in your real estate investing journey and you're trying to scale and you're trying to figure it out and you're struggling with it, this episode is going to be particularly impactful for you because we're going to uncover some of the secrets that Lindsay uses to scale her own portfolio. But on that note, David, what's one thing that's fueled you that people have doubted you in? You know, I've been hearing for years, uh, hateful messages in my DMs, shade thrown my way that I will never have a beard like Brandon's. And I finally said, enough is enough that I'm going to prove the doubters wrong. I'm going to show them that they are wrong about that. That in fact, just because I don't have hair on my head does not mean I can't grow hair. I'm going to grow twice as much underneath my chin. And that's what I've gone and done. Well, I wouldn't say... I mean, twice as much would be like an eight foot long beard, I feel like. No, not twice as much as Brandon. Twice as much as I would normally have on my head. You got to run your own race, Rob. Well, hey, you know, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. Before we bring in Lindsay, today's quick tip is simple. Do your homework before you partner. We often talk about partnerships and they're portrayed on many podcasts as if they are this catch-all magic pill that will solve all of your woes. But many partnerships can make things trickier and more problematic rather than helpful. And be sure to listen all the way to the end of today's episode because Lindsay is going to share with you her four questions she asks every partner before committing. Rob, anything before we bring in Lindsay? No, no, just that uh, now. nowadays I'm thinking about uh, starting a little side hustle raising peacocks, and you'll soon find out why. That's exactly right. If you want to learn a little bit more about the buy and hold peacock method, we're going to get into that soon. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rent to retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. We need to double check with Zach, rental retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? (laughs) It's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to renttoretirement.com today. 
Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Lindsay Duguay, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. How are you today? I'm excellent. How about yourself? Excellent. I can't quite say I'm that good. I clearly am the number two in this equation, but I'm doing pretty good. Rob, how are you? I'm doing really good. I'm doing really good. I got 10,000 steps in and we're only halfway through the day. So, I mean, there's many more steps to come. Oh, you're not going to become one of those people, are you? That counts that as a workout. I track it a lot. I just need to know. Tracking is fine, but is it a substitute for your workout? Well, it's a pillar of wealth. I'll tell you that. There's nothing against the Fitbit people. I just don't like it when people don't exercise, but they they say they did by counting their steps. Steps are not bad. They got that circle check. Yeah. did work out at 540 in the morning. Yeah, that that's that counts, right? I just, I don't know. I'm not a fitness expert, obviously, but walking is a pretty efficient movement that human beings are pretty good at doing. Like doing something hard, I think counts as exercise, but that is neither here nor there. Speaking of hard things, Lindsay, you've done a lot of hard things and you are very financially fit, much like Rob's physical fitness. And I'm excited to get into your story today. A little background for everybody who's listening. 476 units across 18 properties, and you'll be crossing the 500 mark in just a few weeks. Congratulations on that. Fingers crossed. That's right. That's a big landmark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it didn't close yet. So <laughs> Now, some of these properties are partnerships, which is awesome that you disclose that because it's very common in the world of podcasting for people to claim that they have 7,000 units, but they really are just a limited partner in other people's investments. You, you've got a mix of single family, duplex, fourplex, tenplex, all of the plexes, cons- including large multifamily with 212 units. You live in Pennsylvania, where you also invest, as well as Indiana, Chicago, and South Carolina, Kansas City, and Springfield, Missouri. We got a long distance investor in the house here. But not the West Coast yet. Has, haven't made it over there. So <laughs> it's all East Coast. Mid- and you've been doing this for the last five years. If 500 units in five years sounds unattainable, I get it. But we're going to be focusing on the early days of Lindsay's investing and break down how she paved the way to get from there to here so you can too. And a fun fact, Lindsay raises peacocks. Right. I'm a crazy person. That is that is for sure. <laughs> do you own them or do you raise them? Do you train them for other people? Wait, yeah, they don't do any tricks for me. But uh, I grew up on a horse farm. And uh, full disclosure, now I live in a neighborhood. It's at the end of the cul-de-sac. Thank God we don't have any HOE fees or I 100% would get kicked out. But a couple of years ago, I missed having some of my uh, fun little animal friends. And one of the other physicians that I work with said, hey, do you want to raise or try to hatch some peacock eggs? I said, yeah, absolutely. Sounds fantastic. So five years later, uh, here we are doing it every single summer. So yeah, my neighbors, uh, we're <laughs> I'm sure they love hearing them and seeing them. <laughs> Did you feel 
like Khaleesi from Game of Thrones, holding your peacock eggs. Yeah, I didn't step out of any fire, so I'm not that cool. <laughs> Nothing like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> but did you have the moment where you felt like it? Like for Halloween, maybe you dressed up that way. You've got the blonde hair. You held the eggs. No, but I don't have a Halloween costume yet for uh, October, so I think that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. You could like change your Instagram name to like like Breaker of Chains, the Conqueror, Mother of Peacocks, like have that really long title. Passive Peacocks. I don't know, something to real estate investing related. <laughs> Before we get into your backstory, tell us in one quick sentence, what's working for you in real estate right now? Um, conservative, conservative underwriting is definitely uh, key for us right now. Um, times are a little bit different now than when we started uh, five years ago. It's a little bit easier and you had a, more of a buffer than you do right now. <laughs> that is such a good point. And this is something that doesn't get talked about a lot. It is not, uh, I don't want to put this, like when it comes to real estate investing, it, there's always going to be some art to the science. So the last five years of multifamily investing, really any type of properties that were based on commercial lending. There's a formula that we use, and it's basically your NOI and the cap rate combination of those two things create value. Well, nobody saw interest rates tripling or right, like that fast. And that has a massive impact on the cap rate. And even if you did everything right as an operator, you increased, you could have doubled your NOI and you could still get stuck with these interest rates increasing. And uh, to be fair, I don't know how much I blame some of these operators that did a great job and they still ran into problems because when they have to refinance their property, that doesn't debt service anymore at today's rates. Or when they go to sell it to somebody else, there's less people that want to buy it. And those that are going to buy it, they can't pay as much because of this cap rate problem. So I say all that to say that conservative underwriting can be a win. And many people that did not buy in the last five years that felt like, oh man, like I'm not taking action. I, I know all this stuff, but I'm just nervous. What if rates go up? Some of those people are looking pretty smart. And the ones that did buy in the last five years are probably feeling really good if they paid more to get like a 10-year fixed rate, not the three-year three, three year balloons that some people took out. So I appreciate you saying conservative underwriting is uh, working for you right now because that doesn't get glamorized. We are always like, what did you acquire? How many units did you get? Here's a picture of me signing my documents on Instagram. Everybody gets to see it, right? But you don't see a lot of people say, here's a picture of me taking a haircut on this property because <laughs> rates skyjack skyrocketed on me. Yeah, we're definitely not closing as much as we had been, but the ones we are, we're very confident in their little cash cows. So <laughs> that's good. Now, one of the things I hear a lot of other multifamily operators, commercial operators talking about is that the cash flow itself is incredibly hard to find. They're focusing on value add or rent growth. Are you finding something that you feel like is cash flowing right out the gate year one? So everything we're buying is there's a degree of cash flow to it. Um, unless we're getting a few of these off market ones where there are complete, uh, renovations where you know, we can talk about some of the, the ones that we bought before where there's literally like grass growing in the front, um, living room and everything like that. But we're really trying to get cash flow from day one with still having value add that we can, uh, go in and then refinance and still pull out the majority, um, if not all of our money. Okay. Well, that's good news for you, Rob, because you got that grass growing on the top of your head. Apparently it grows in more places than just front lawns. Oh, I give my whole family haircuts. So yeah, I can come over. I'll give you one too. <laughs> Will you be at BPCon? I'll wait to cut it. <laughs> no, not. But so not only are you a barber, but you are also a doctor. 
and that wasn't the expectation that your parents had for you growing up. What did they say when you told them that you wanted to become a doctor? Yeah, for all intents and purposes, I shouldn't be a doctor. I definitely shouldn't be a doctor who is doing real estate investing and definitely not a doctor doing real estate investing with peacocks in my garage. But um, I grew up in a very small town. I was the first person in my entire family to go to college. Um, nobody invested. Um my parents absolutely thought I was going to lose all my money when I first said that I was going to go into real estate investing. So my mom, she was very happy that I went to college. God bless her. love her so much. But when I said, hey, I think I want to go become a physician, she's like, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of money. Why don't you you know, be a nurse? Your, your cousin's an LPN. She makes a, a nice amount of money. So there was definitely some dissuasion from my own family members to become a physician. I still have my one of my birthday cards from my dad. He's a man of few words, but when he speaks, it, you, you listen to him, he speaks volumes. And I have it up in my office, actually. And it, he said, don't listen to the negativity. You can do anything you want and you'll be good at it. So I still look at that quote um, to this day. So I figured, you know, I, I have the grit, I have the determination, I, I can become a physician. So I went for it. <laughs> you didn't ask where was this when I was in pre-med and you were telling me not to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had a similar experience. My dad actually said you would, you're not going to be a cop. You'll never make it. You're not, you're not tough enough, which is crazy. Uh, I don't know where that often comes from. I know that the people that are naysayers don't often mean to be as discouraging as they can be. And it can be tricky because sometimes they're trying to protect people from delusion. There are some people who say, I'm going to be the next Gary Vaynerchuk and someone needs to put them in their place and say, no, you're not. You can't even hold a regular job. But then in other cases, there are people in our lives that mean well, that can be discouraging. So how did you know, Lindsay, what you should listen to from other people and what you should say? Nope, I don't care what they say. I'm going to move forward. Yeah, good question. I thrive a little bit on... um beating the odds. And if somebody tells me no, I take that as a challenge. Um, whether that's, ah, you probably can't become a doctor. Well, I'll prove you wrong. That was, that was a long 11 year old, uh, 11 year challenge to get to that point. But, um, similar to real estate, when I first started, the very first broker I spoke to said, uh, I don't have time for you. And that was a big challenge to me to keep going forward and prove them wrong too. So I, I like a good challenge. <laughs> yeah. So speaking about challenges, uh, what was your upbringing like? Did you have challenges when you were a child you had to overcome as well? Yeah, we, like I said, neither, I was the first person to go to college in my whole family. Um, I, it's not like we were poor, but we certainly lived in more of a scarcity mindset instead of an abundance. Um, nobody taught me about investing stocks or otherwise. Um, my mom literally has $30,000 in her entire retirement fund right now. So this is it's not like I grew up, you know, with a silver spoon or anything like that. So, um, you know, I mentioned I grew up on a horse farm. I, I there were no neighbors around me. I really was uh, a friend to all the animals and everything like that. So I did a lot of reading. Uh, I love to, to learn, obviously, I wouldn't spend 11 year old, uh, 11 years becoming a physician. So um, yeah, I spent a lot of, a lot of time reading and learning. Sure. Sure. And so, I mean, you go on to become a doctor, right? This is a huge feat. Congratulations, by the way. And tell us about what it was like working as a doctor in your early days. Yeah. So it's, it's a long road, you know, you go to uh, college for four years, medical school for four years, and then depending on what specialty you want to go into, it's another three to seven years of training and residency. So, 
yeah, it's a lot. It's a long time. It's uh, not a small thing to to want to do. So um, in residency, you're working 80 hours a week. Um, it's an average of $60,000, $65,000 for salary. So when you break that down, it's like $16 an hour as a physician. And my specialty is emer emergency medicine and trauma. Um, I'm surrounded by people who didn't think they were going to end up in the ER. You never wake up thinking you're going to be in a car accident, have a heart attack or a stroke or anything like that. So I realized, okay, if I am not going to work and putting in these hours, I'm not getting paid. Um, and when I was in residency, my husband and I had our first kid. He's six and a half now. Um, but we realized, okay, we need to do something where we are more financially secure. And if, God forbid, I'm not here or something, we're still having money come in um, instead of just relying on my W-2, which I have to physically be, be there for. So that's when we started to look into, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to make some money <laughs> besides my W-2 job? Sure. I mean, there's this... Obviously, there's the perception that doctors seem to do well. Is $65,000 normal? Is there a kind of a point where it's supposed to be more than that? How does that work for doctors? Yeah, when when you become an attending, so once you're done that three to seven years of residency training, then your salary does increase uh, to, to varying degrees, depending on what type of physician you are. So there there is... Um, a light at the end of the tunnel, but most of us have ten hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical school debt when we come out. I had two hundred thirty thousand dollars in medical school loans. That's not an asset. That's a big liability. So a lot of debt to pay down too. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. So at what point was it where, like, how, uh, how, when did you know something needed to change? Because obviously you get into this groove. You're like, all right, I've got this W two job. All my time is being soaked up. I need to change something. What what was that turning point for you? Yeah, my husband and I, you know, we started to look into what can we do to invest in all the physicians that I worked uh, around are very stock heavy. So we started to look into the stock market. It didn't excite us very much. And then my husband uh, listened to the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, gateway book for a lot of us, I'm sure. And he said, hey, I think you need to listen to this and see what you think. As soon as I read it, I was like, okay, this is it. We need to do real estate investing. And it was like, mindset shift and full force ahead. Okay. And so like, was that the spark for you that got you actually into real estate or when did real estate actually get come into the picture? Yeah. So as soon as uh, I read the book, I, I said, okay, we're going to do this. And I signed us up for a three-day real estate investing course. Um, there was good and bad to that. Um, it was almost a little bit like a time chair, shell, uh, time, um, chair sell that they pump you up. And then at the end, there was this upsell. So we were like, okay, we're going to join this group for $30,000. And we definitely... And that part wasn't worth it. Yeah. So it you know, wasn't maybe the, the best start of it to it, but it did teach us about real estate investing, uh, leverage, and it got us, um, well, first of all, I learned about bigger pockets through that. I didn't know what that was until five and a half years ago. I remember standing in line for coffee and one of the other guys said, Hey, do you have you heard of bigger pockets? I was like, no, what's that? <laughs> So um, we uh, learned about local real estate investing groups, and I went to one of those with my husband the very next month, and that's actually how we got our first deal. So there were there was good that came out of the first course we took. <laughs> okay, and so you is, is it sort of like you're all in? You want to go into like buying properties, investing? Is it more the you want to be a realtor? Like what what exactly did you want to get started in when you were like, all right, I know I want to be in this career? Yeah. So just like in medicine, we have this saying, you don't know what you don't know. So I at first thought I was going to be a wholesaler. I was like, oh, okay, that sounds okay. I can find these properties and then I can sell them to somebody else. Um, not thinking, okay, well, that's not really actually passive income. That's not something you're going to hold and still get cash flow from every month. 
So the first local meetup that we went to, um, there was a, a guy, his, his wife is a physician and I, I, that resonated with me, obviously. And he at the time owned 20 units and he said he got 20 units in five years. To me, that sounded unattainable at that time. I'm like, wow, 20 units in five years. Maybe I can be like him. And the next meetup we went to, he said, Hey, we have, I have, um, two, uh, single family properties and it was a D class area, which we didn't know what D class was or anything at that time. But he said, I am sick of these two properties are too far away. They're an hour from where we live. But he said, I'll give them to the highest bidder in this room, basically. So I ended up saying, okay, I want this, these will be our first properties. So we got them for sight unseen for $2,500 each. So we got two properties for $5,000. I was like, that's it. I'm an investor. Like he came over to my house. We had this paper contract we signed. He's like, okay, just go to the courthouse. This is going to be your deed. He's the key. He's here's the keys. And he walked out. So I remember we had a bottle of Corbell champagne. My husband and I popped and we're like, yeah, we're real estate investors. This is before we even went to see the properties. So I'll sell this to the highest bidder in the room. In the room in a local real estate meetup. Yep. So, mm -hmm, yep. <laughs> that is a ballsy move on their part. Yeah. It created some FOMO in the room. A hundred percent. Yeah. And of course you're targeting people who don't know anything about investing. So that's right. <laughs> you hear everyone else talk about the success stories of real estate investing. You assume being an investor is a good thing. You're not thinking about what you're actually buying. Can you describe what a D-class neighborhood is for the listeners? Yeah. So D-class is where you don't want to buy. It's uh, the, the crime areas. Um, that was not the property that ironically had grass growing in the, um, front living room, but uh, I did have squatters that we found when we finally opened up the doors. So there tends to be some drugs, high crime rate in those areas, uh, versus C-class, which we have some C-class areas, uh, a little bit better, more working class, uh, B-class as are try you, you want to find the uh, <laughs> B or C property in an A-class neighborhood, ideally. So the A-class are the very, very good education ones, uh, you know, the perfectly manicured front lawns and everything like that, um, but maybe tend to be less value-add. So this the, these were in very bad areas. <laughs> yeah. So you, Okay. So you foreshadow a little bit here. You buy these property, you buy two properties for $2,500 each. Yep. 5000 total for two properties. <laughs> and then they, appreci they appreciated greatly and provided insane cash flow, right? Oh, yeah. We walked in. They were perfect. We didn't have to do any rehab? No, not at all. So yeah, we walked in. He, um, well, first of all, we didn't ask because again, you don't know what you don't know. And he neglected to, uh, give us full disclosure that he was behind on a lot of taxes. Um, there were squatters in one of the houses, which he tried to remove. So he cut all the pipes. Um, and that did not dissuade them to stop living there. So when we walked in, there were urine bottles all over the house. Um, the, yeah, it was, it was a mess to say the least. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Looking back in hindsight, how much would he have had to pay you to take these over to make it worth it? Yeah, we, it would have been a hard pass uh, knowing what we know now. Yeah. But I mean, was there a number like a hundred grand would have been worth it or 500 grand? So, um, a hundred grand. Yeah. I would have taken them for a hundred grand. Yeah. And that's just a thing that never gets talked about, right? Like you, you bought a job basically. Yeah. We, oh yeah. We bought a job. We, we learned a lot. Um, we Googled uh, local contractors and we found a guy and we, we paid him up front. So that was a really wise thing to do with no contract. So yeah, lots of good things. He still has a... Every mistake we all made in the very beginning hit you on the same deal. Uh, yeah, so many, so many mistakes. <laughs> okay. So you, you learned some lessons here. You said you don't know what you don't know. What, what would you say some of the questions 
should have been? Like, what, what were some of the questions that you wish you could go back and, and ask to help avoid this? Yeah, um, <laughs> I think we asked zero questions, basically, other than uh, where are the properties? So so really just any question. So any questions to start. But yeah, I mean, I definitely would have asked, do, do you currently have anyone in there? What are the rents? Uh, you know, all the things that you should be underwriting for, right? Um, what, what's the property taxes? What are the, what's the insurance you're paying for? Are you up to date on taxes? So all the questions. <laughs> sure. Let me ask you this. In that exact moment, you know, you buy these houses. What did you think was going to happen? Were you like thinking, Oh, I'm going to buy these houses. I'm going to rent them out and I'm going to cash flow. Like, or was it sort of like, yeah, let's buy it. And yeah, I know real estate is good. Let's just figure it out. Like what what was the actual mindset there? Uh, to, our mindset was knowing that this was going to be some learning properties. I mean, $5,000 isn't nothing, but it's not huge. It wasn't going to break our bank account at that time. So we took them as some learning opportunities. We learned more than we thought we were going to have to, but um, we did buy them. We did end up getting them fixed. Um, we did a lot of the work ourselves. I joke that my husband's from France. He moved to the US 13 years ago. And I joke that when he moved here, he was the fancy French guy who couldn't even change a light bulb. And now the poor guy knows how to rehab everything. He he changed an entire sewer line on one of these properties. Um, so we ended up rehabbing them. We did the Burr method here, if anybody's heard of that, David Green. <laughs> and we pulled out over, over, oh yeah, over a hundred percent of our money on the properties. So we owned those for five years, actually. We just sold them six months ago. And we, so we had bought them for $2,500 each. The one unit we put uh, $15,000 into and the other unit we put $20,000 into because they, they were an absolute mess. Um, but we we ended up selling them for sixty and seventy thousand dollars each in the spring, as well as parts of your soul. Parts of it, yeah. But we can never get some of that back. I had a nail go go through my <laughs> knee when I was taking the carpet off of the stairs on the one property, <laughs> trying to learn how to. <laughs> when you sold that property, certainly there must have been some aspect of like, wow, I'm really letting go like my first set of bad memories that shaped me who who shaped who I am today. Or were you like, hell yeah get these things out of here. Yeah, it was a combination of both because even though we had a really rough start, once they were rehabbed and we ended up getting some good tenants in there, they they were cash flowing four to $500 uh, per unit. So, and we had bought a duplex in the town um, a month after we got the first. So we were really rehabbing four at the same time, um, but all of them were cash flowing very well despite being in a bad neighborhood. Yeah. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, 
I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb. And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're ready to open a business bank account for your new property. You know what that means? Coordinating a time between you, your co-founders, and your bank consultant. Waiting at the branch or waiting for hours on the support line. Who has time for that? With Relay, you can open a business bank account for your property 100% online from anywhere. Create up to 20 accounts to organize money by property or by categories like expenses, taxes, or investments. Effortlessly collaborate with role-specific access. That means giving your cleaner a debit card for cleaning supplies or your accountant read-only access to your transactions. Own multiple businesses? Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access them all from one centralized login. Okay, I'm just, I'm going off script here. That is cool. It's annoying that I have to log into 10 business accounts with my current bank. So go sign up for RelayFi because that's a, that's a feature that I like. No monthly fees or minimums, and it takes just 10 minutes to sign up. Head on over to RelayFi.com slash BiggerPockets for stress-free banking. You can join me because I'm heading on over there right now. I'm heading on over to R-E-L-A-Y-F-I.com slash BiggerPockets. Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by ThreadBank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers a targeted 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of net profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, are first in line to get paid. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of a physical asset mitigate downside risk. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by directing your funds from Wall Street to Main Street and supporting local economies. The investment is reserved for accredited investors. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com BP. pinefinancialgroup.com BP. I always like to ask this just out of curiosity. If you could go back... To, to younger Dr. Duguay, uh, do you wish you could have avoided these houses or are you happy that you went through through that journey? Because obviously you've, you've, go on, you've gone on to do like a pretty amazing thing with your portfolio. Yeah. You know, I joke about how bad they are, but we did learn a lot. And um, I don't think we would have some of the, the same grit and determination um, if we hadn't gotten through all of those uh, landmines and troubles that we had with those first properties. And we can help guide other people as well. I mean, people are, they know how bad they are. They've seen the pictures on my social media and everything. So they're like, Hey, I, you know, I saw your bad properties. How did you get over this? So we, we did learn a lot and there, 
there. We we can teach now on some of those what not to do. <laughs> okay, so you, you buy these properties, you've sold them, or there's a little bit of a resolution there. How did you scale up from there? Yeah, so we we had those first four that we acquired. We ended up doing the, the full burr on those. Um, then I started doing some direct mail campaigns, so handwritten letters, handwritten envelopes, sending them out. And we had some people reach back out from those. We ended up getting a couple single families in more B plus, A minus neighborhoods at um, a lake really close to us. Um, we still have all those properties. We got a four unit from um, one of the off market campaigns from a seller in New York. And uh, <laughs> we, we, you think we would have learned this lesson, but we also bought this one sight unseen. And this was uh, the grass in the living room that we ended up walking into. We got it for twenty thousand dollars. Very big building. It's um. They, they're uh, just over 1,100 square um, feet per unit. So those were full rehabs. We ended up pulling out 126% um, of our capital on that property too. So another perfect infinite return burr on that one. Um, and then we ended up getting our 10 unit. That was our seventh deal just between my husband and I. So we were doing everything ourselves. I was working extra shifts at the hospital, moonlighting to fund the properties, buying them cash or tr traditional 75% um, LTV from, from local banks that we were using and starting to form these good relationships with. But then each property we were buying, we were running out of capital. So instead of paying an actual contractor to do it quickly, my husband was learning along the way and doing a lot of these rehabs himself. So he was also managing the tenants and the properties and everything. So this none of this was passive the, the way we thought it was going to be when we first got, got involved. So we really reached a cap where we're like, okay, this is another job. We're not scaling the way we want to, and our resources are getting tapped out here <laughs> when we got to 22 units. Passive income is one of the greatest marketing statements in ever in the world just that anything would be passive how how people have been able to fool others into thinking that you'll buy real estate and never touch it again when nothing else in life works that way like have you ever met a married couple who's like i worked really hard to get my wife and then i married her and i've never had to do anything again she just loves me every day and it's passive love at this point like it's kind of like my husband would definitely disagree with that statement from <laughs> yeah and fit there's no passive fitness it's just funny how we've done that now Lindsay, you've clearly read the Burr. You understand that strategy. I'm curious if you guys ever read Long Distance Real Estate Investing. Yeah, I yeah, that was an audio book at the beginning we listened to. I'm a, yeah, again, I'm a good learner. The first year that we started investing, I literally listened and read over a hundred different books, not just real estate, but mindset and everything. So yeah. So with the principles in that book, was that something that was skipped when you guys bought a house without seeing grass was in there, or had you not read it yet? We probably got through that the half year. We were already um, a good eight units in in deep and. Uh, in the rehab process at this point, but it just, it sounded like a, a, a no pun intended, a long distant con concept to us too. At the beginning, we did want properties that we could feel and see and drive by at the beginning, but that, that got old after we got to 22 units. And that's when we started looking for partnerships and other people. But you just didn't get a video made that showed what the condition of the property was, right? No. <laughs> Because there is a way to invest sight unseen. I, I do it all the time, but somebody has to see. It doesn't have to be us, right? So that's another learning lesson. We have JV deals where we have not set foot in the properties, but we we own them. We're partners. We're very active in the JV deals, but yeah, we haven't physically set foot in them. Me too. I have lots of properties I've never been in, never seen before, but someone did, right? Somebody went through, took a video. There was still due diligence that was done. Whether that's a boots on the ground partner or yeah, another realtor or something. Yeah, exactly. So that's a learning 
experience. You, you learned from that as well. And speaking of learning, I understand that there's a method that you learned in your medical residency that has helped you improve how quickly you learn. Can you tell us about that? Uh, the, the see one, do one, teach one. <laughs> That's the one you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So in medicine, yeah, we, we have that saying. So say you're going to learn how to do an intubation. You watch somebody do it, then you do one yourself. And hey, now you're an expert after one. So now you can teach one. So, I mean, we, we definitely do that in medicine, but it's applicable to real estate investing too. And it's all about learning processes and perfecting them to get to get a method going. So, I mean, just like the single family uh, burrs that we did, we initially read about it, you know, watch some podcasts, listen to podcasts about it, talk to some of the other investors, you know, we did one ourselves, a couple of them. Um, and now we are mentoring people and teaching them about it as well. Now, now I'm a little nervous to get intubated knowing that the doctor may have only done it one time. Not with every procedure, but yeah. <laughs> so you've, you've said that your seventh deal is a really like a big turning point for your career. Can you tell us about that deal? Yeah, this, oh my God, I love this deal. It's, we still own this property. So this, yeah, this had been a direct mail campaign. Um, what is that? What does that mean for? Oh yeah. So yeah. So we use a software, it's called RE Property Finder. Um, you can search for any number of units, any amount of equity in the property. And at that time we were targeting like the mom and pop type owners. So these were people that my criteria at that time had been owned for 20 years they had 100% equity, so they had no loan with the bank. Um, and we were ho hoping that these people weren't running it quite like a business like they should. And these are the properties that we ended up buying. So um, we bought this one. There, It was 10 units. Eight of them were rented at the time, but they were significantly under-rented. Um, the average rent in that area at the time was about $850. He was renting them out for five, five twenty-five. He had owned it for 25 years. It was well-maintained, but it was very, very dated. And then two of the units in the back on the bottom, they were basically just being used as storage. They were uninhabitable. So we negotiated this down to $250,000. Um, and then the bank financed the whole construction loan for the two units in the back. Um, Mike, we learned a lot with this property too. My husband learned in this one that cockroaches can fly and that ceiling tile tiles can hurt, hold uh, 13 pairs of dirty underwear too. He, it fell in his head when he was doing one of the rehabs on the properties. I don't know what that tenant had in mind, but we ended up uh, raising, rehabbing the the units. Um, we are now getting between one thousand um, per unit and twelve hundred dollars per unit. So we over doubled the rent. Um, it appraised for just under eight hundred thousand dollars when we did our refinance last August on this property, and we got two hundred seventy five percent of our money out. And after the refi. We are still getting between five and five fifty per unit cash flow. So you sort of it's these Burr principles that you're employing. You're just doing it in the commercial space, not residential. And I'll clarify what that is. When you Burr, you're the basically the fundamentals here are you trying to buy it below market value? You're trying to add value to it. Once you've done that, or combination of those two, you're gonna refinance. Now we typically describe this from a residential framework where the way that you add value to it is by increasing its comparison to a better comp. You're looking for a residential property that is worth more, and you're either changing the floor plan, the square footage, or the condition of the property to match a comp, because that's how residential real estate is valued. It's actually kind of silly how that works. It's like, well, what the Joneses pay for their house? All right, I'll pay that. doesn't make any objective sense. Commercial real estate makes a lot more sense from a financial perspective. It's what does the property make? How much can I expect to 
uh, earn from this property if I buy it. So what you're doing is you're buying properties below market value because they're being operated inefficiently. The rents are too low. The expenses are too high. Maybe there's some deferred maintenance. And so the owners are like, well, let's not raise the rent on them because then I'd have to go fix something up. And you're adding value to it by fixing those things. You're improving your income and you're decreasing expenses, which it improves the NOI. Now you've got a property that's worth more. And hey, sometimes you catch some uh, tailwinds. Sometimes interest rates go down, cap rates go down. You, The property becomes worth more, just like in the residential space. Values have been going up as we printed a bunch of money. And so it made it easier to pull your money out of a burr. The same thing has been happening in the commercial space. It's just as simple as residential real estate. You're just pulling on slightly different levers because commercial real estate's valued differently. That's exactly right. Yeah, we implemented what we did with the single families and the duplex, and we took it to the commercial 10 unit, and it worked wonderfully. <laughs> well, that's, that's amazing. I want to go back a little bit because you said you got 275% of your money back. What the heck did that feel like? That's insane. I remember the day that we got our refi check and I was sitting in my husband's truck, which the business pays for. It's another great thing about real estate investing, <laughs> business expense. And I remember sitting there in his truck and crying because the refinance check was $301,000 and refinance checks are not taxed. And I was literally just crying in the truck thinking, oh my goodness, this is more money than I made seeing thousands of patients in the last year at my W-2 physician job. And it was, we were already, you know, very much into the real estate game, but this that was when I truly realized we can do this as a career and this can completely replace uh, my salary and what we're doing. That, that's, that's so crazy. Wow. I want one of those. Give me one of those. So that deal was also a turning point in another way, as I understand it. Tell us about getting stuck and how you were able to get unstuck. Yeah. So like I said, this was our seventh deal, just be my husband and I, and that took us to 22 units, but it was a full-time job. I mean, I was still doing more than full-time at the hospital with the moonlighting shifts to finance these deals. My husband was doing rehabs. He was doing the property management. He was doing the tenant management, everything. And we realized we were scaling, but not as fast in the way we wanted to. And we sat down, we're like, okay, what are we going to do? Do we want to keep doing it this way? Or what can we do different to, to make this easier on ourselves and continue to grow our portfolio and not get burnt out? So we decided, okay, we need to leverage more, but in this time we need to leverage other people's money and other people's knowledge and time as well, because my time was basically maxed out. I can't make two of me as much as I wish I could. So we decided we need to start looking at some partnerships and working with other people. That's amazing. So tell us a little bit more about, you said, is it at this time you're sort of taking on more properties? You're in scale mode, but are you trying to figure out like, what's the next step from here? Well, how, how did you like, where did you turn the corner exactly? Yeah. So we started going back to some meetups. Um, we started looking more into partnerships and, uh, we joined a mastermind group and that was really a huge, uh, turning point and piece of leverage for us as well. Um, tons of masterminds out there, obviously a lot of free ones, a lot of ones focused just on short-term rentals, just on commercial property. We joined, it's called Make It Happen Mastermind. Um, and we have weekly, sometimes monthly group calls, um, a lot of accountability, and we formed partnerships with other people in this group. Um, and that's how we started to scale up into JV deals, uh, which obviously we're still very active in as well as being GPs on some syndication deals. So that's interesting because you know you mentioned at the beginning of this you bought a course or you got enrolled in a course it was really expensive wasn't particularly a winner for you now you're you end up going and you joining a mastermind was there like a difference uh as to why one 
was so much more pivotal for you the second time around? Was it the people, the connections? Yeah, we had looked into a couple and this one this one just felt right. I like the vibe of the people. We were kind of interviewing different groups to see which one we were going to vibe with. This one in particular was um, focused on the people in the group. Um, do they have good ethics <laughs> as well as doing deals together? And that's what we wanted to do. We didn't want to focus just on the education component. We wanted to to scale with some more properties. Yeah. You wanted to do. Yes. We wanted to do not just learn, which obviously we're still learning all the time, but yeah. <laughs> so I'm pretty curious here because I've got to imagine, especially early on in your, in your career as a doctor, that you're taking a ton of calls. Uh, you know, you're, you're on call as a doctor, you're intubating people for the first time, possibly second time. At the same time, you're also managing your real estate portfolio. Was there ever a moment where you're like just taking insane, insane amount of like tenant calls during your actual job, like during the workday? Yeah, it's really hard to do CPR and take like a toilet call at the same time from a tenant. So yeah, I mean, luckily, my husband dealt with a lot of that. He kind of has the 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 pager, I, could, I should say for the tenants and I have the pager for the patients. But yeah, I mean, it's tough to manage because at, at at that time, when we reached our 22-unit ceiling, we also had two very small kids at home. They were two, a baby and a toddler. So, you know, I had the mom aspect and the family aspect going on as well. So it was a, it was a lot to balance. So they're they're tiny. <laughs> yeah, they, you just said they were three, and what was the other one? I think she I think she was a year and a half old at that time. Time is flying now because right now they're six and a half. My daughter just turned five last Thursday, and our son is 22 months old. Our second son. <laughs> Listen, hey, like I got a two and a three year old right now. It, first of all, it's a hard age gap. But second of all, to be in the throes of your of your real estate career is absolutely crazy. Were they coming to job sites with you? Were they your your makeshift handy handy people or how how was it like juggling all that? Yeah, our our six and a half year old now he he actually really likes it. He he says my houses when we'll, we'll go past some of the local ones and he picked up a quarter a couple of months ago. He said you need money to make money, so he he's definitely listening to some of the things that we're saying about investing. <laughs> so you hit a point where you recognize okay. We need some support. We cannot keep going at the pace we're going. We have kids. We have jobs. These properties that we bought, you've done really well. Now, on the other end of that is that's because you put a lot of effort into these. You pulled 275% of your equity out because you were hyper-focused on turning these things around. It is not passive. It's passiver, right? It's less passive than having to be a doctor, but it's still not completely passive. Once you recognize partnership was the road you were going to take, what are the questions you came up with that you recommend people ask a potential partner to vet them out? Yeah. So um, one question that I always ask other people, especially as we're doing some of these uh, bigger syndication deals, is what other full cycle deals have you done? Um, it's one thing to say I closed X amount of properties, but if you closed a whole bunch of them in the last year, but you're running them poorly. It doesn't matter. You, anybody can take a great deal and run it into the ground if you're not managing it properly. So I like to see what the other partners have done full cycle and full cycle well to make sure they can be good operators. So that's a that's number one big question that I'm looking uh, for in other partners. And why is it important to see full cycle? So just like in medicine, if you get into med school, yeah, it's a great feat to say, okay, I'm in med school to become a doctor, but that doesn't mean you are a doctor yet. You still have four more years of med school and residency. There's a lot of opportunities to fail until you actually can, you know, be a practicing physician on your own. It's the same as real estate. Just because you buy the property doesn't mean that it's going to be successful. So full cycle means you've bought it, you've managed it well, and you've refied it out well, or you've sold it successfully and not in a sell as in a foreclosure. <laughs> You didn't operate it well if that happened. <laughs> and that's just because you don't want your partner getting stuck on something that they don't have experience with. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. 
And some of the teams that reached out to me to see if I wanted to join, they were all brand new teams. They didn't have any experience. And syndication is a little bit of a dirty word right now, too, because there are a lot of people with bridge debt that are getting into some financial trouble right now. And of course, those are the big ones that you're seeing about on the news. And everybody thinks multifamily is bad now. Good point. Okay. What's the next thing that you'd ask someone to vet them out? Um, I like to see, um, are, are they vertically integrated in their own company? Um, and that's not something that's a deal breaker for me, but especially um, some of the bigger deals that we're doing, if they have and successfully have their own property management company that can save a lot of expenses. Um, one of our properties in South Carolina, it's 110 unit. We vertically integrated this summer and the operating expenses have gone down significantly, which means our NOI has gone up a lot too. And Can you just briefly explain, yeah, what is vertically integrated mean? Yeah. So having your our own property management company um, in the building and not using a third property, uh, property management company and doing that across uh, a couple of the properties that we own. Okay. Carry on. So uh, that's something that I, I like to see, but it's definitely not uh, necessary. Okay. And uh, what, what's the next question you'd ask? Yeah. So another one, um, asking for their details of underwriting. Underwriting is, to me, one of the most, well, probably the most important thing that you need to have uh, in a successful real estate deal. Anybody can make numbers look good on paper, but that doesn't mean they're accurate. I cannot tell you how many times... Other people have come and presented a deal to me saying, hey, do you want to do a JV? Do you want to partner? Do you want to put some of your money into this? It's a great deal. The equity multiplier, you know, you're going to double your money in five years. So I would say, okay, show me the underwriting. And my husband, he's a mechanical engineer by background. So he's very, very nitty gritty on the underwriting. And he'll start going through it and he'll look up and see, okay, your taxes are not written down correctly. He talks to our insurance broker and they've underestimated what the insurance is going to be by ten, twenty thousand dollars at some cases on some of the properties. Um, there are many, many things that can go wrong that if you're not doing your own due diligence and looking at how they're underwriting, the deal can go very poorly. Sometimes they're not putting in property management fees if they're using a third company. They're missing huge things that are really going to affect your property in a negative way. And you're not going to be making money on it if you're not underwriting well. <laughs> so that that is huge. And uh, one of the other um, things that I like to see is how how are they re researching the area of the property? Um, we mentioned that some of these properties we haven't even walked into yet that we're doing partnerships with. So are they really doing their market research? They, they might give us uh, the operating memorandum or a piece of paper saying, okay, you know, subjectively, they think that this is a great area because, oh, our friends, our family's moving in, they're building a new gas station here. It's, it's a really growing area, but that's just them thinking that. But then when you actually look into the numbers and the demographics, it's losing 2% year over year for the last five years of population growth. So I don't want to be investing in an area that is not increasing. So I... So mainly you need to be doing your due diligence, whether you are an active operator, whether you're a limited partner, um, you know, limited partners, that's the most passive you can get, but you still need to be able to look at numbers and understand if the deal is good or not. Great questions there. I really like that. And that's something practical that we can all move forward with. Really quickly, Lindsay, give us a snapshot of where your portfolio stands today in terms of the number of properties, the equity in the properties, and your cash flow. Right now, we have a total of 472 units. Um, actually, next Tuesday, we're closing a 72 unit in Springfield, Missouri. So that one is going to take us over the 500 unit line, which is going to be 
uh, a huge landmark for us. So this is a mix of like, yeah, it's a, it's a big landmark for us. So that's over, you know, some of these single family lake houses. We have a um, eight unit JV deal in Indianapolis. We have a 21 unit in Chicago, which is a short term rental uh, hostel hotel type um, and uh, bar restaurant. We have the 110 unit in South Carolina, uh, 212 unit in Kansas City, um, the 72 unit that we're going to close. Uh, we have the 10 units and fourplexes around this area. And then uh, across from the medical school at my hospital, we're actually under contract to close in October a 19 unit uh, medical student. So obviously that's up my alley. And then two houses down, there's a it's a big mansion that we're converting into a 13 unit also medical student uh, building. So we have some other properties in the works here, too. <laughs> wow. Well, let me let me ask you this. Is there anyone else in your life that you've proven wrong in reaching this point? Because I mean, 500 units is a lot. Um, but I'm curious, are there are there pe- people or like naysayers that that may have doubted you at the beginning that now might say like, wow, yeah, that, that is <laughs> that's a crazy feat. Probably the first broker that I spoke to after that three day seminar, um, they're like, OK, you need to find your core team. You need to get a lawyer on your team. You need to get a broker. So I was like going down the checklist, you know, do, doing my good due diligence and my action steps. And I called uh, a local broker and he's like, OK, well, what type of properties are you looking at? Um, what are your criteria? And I didn't really have criteria. So in, in honesty to him, I probably did sound like I didn't know what I'm doing because I didn't. But he said, he straight up said to me, I don't have time for you. And that one really got to me because I was like, wow, if I can't even get any brokers to give me time, how, are, how am I going to close any properties? So yeah. I'm sure he would be shocked to, to see where I'm at now. <laughs> um, and uh, to close, just curiosity, can you also give us a snapshot of what your life looks like today? I'm sure it's very different than when you started. I'd love to hear. Yeah, the life is definitely uh, very busy, probably if not even busier, because now we have three kids instead of uh, just the one when we started. But um so I'm still working at the hospital as a physician. I actually was there this morning and I've actually become the regional director of my uh, hospital system as well. So now I'm, I'm managing a whole bunch of other doctors and everything too. But um, I had on my vision board earlier this year that I didn't want to do any more night shifts and I wanted to cut down um, at the hospital. And specifically for the night shifts, I wasn't quite sure how that was going to happen. And since I took this role, that has happened. So that's great. I'm a big believer in manifestation and vision boards and everything like that. So that that's very good. I'm having more time at home with the family now, um, some more weekends off. So and more time for real estate and more time to do things like this. Um, I'm holding some local meetups now. So we usually get between 50 and 75 people. We're doing them quarterly. So that's, these are free. We're giving back to the community. I love to talk about real estate investing. So it's very fun for me to, to talk and help teach other people this as well. And then spending a lot of time with the three kids, obviously they ha- have a lot of new hobbies as they're getting older. Um, my husband coaches our son's soccer team. So that that's fun for him. And real estate's definitely helping us to give more time on paper. Now, as of the summer, we are officially financially free with our real estate investing. So it's a good feeling to be able to work at the hospital because I want to and not because I have to. I've worked very hard to become a physician. I never want to give it up completely, but it, it is a weight lifted off the shoulders to feel that. What does financially free mean for you guys? Meaning we're having um, enough cash flow from our investments uh, that we, I, if I would lose my job today, we are okay paying bills. <laughs> Amazing. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So now we're working on uh, generational wealth, which is another goal and <laughs> next step. You're five years in and you've created something that 99% of our listeners want. I'm sure in the next five years, 
you'll crush that one out too. Thank you so much for, for sharing with us. If people want to learn more about you and connect with you and do all that good stuff, where can people find you? Yeah. So uh, I'm the only Lindsay Duguay on Facebook. So you can type me in there. Um, I have Instagram, uh, cloverkeycapital.com is our website. So um, I'm very responsive uh, to everybody messaging me. So and I, again, I love to talk about real estate investing. So <laughs> I'd love to talk to anybody else too. <laughs> cool. And David, what about you? David Green 24 on all social media. Go give me a follow there and check out davidgreen24.com and spartanleague.com. You can learn a lot about me. How about you, Rob? Cool. You can find me over on uh, YouTube at Rob Built if you want if you want long form video. And then if you want uh, really wacky real estate reels where David makes appearances on, on my lists, uh, you can go follow me on Instagram too. Go check that out. That was a very funny video that made. If you want to know what Rob looks like in lipstick, it's a can't miss. Lindsay. Thanks for being here and thanks for sharing the story. And thanks for not listening to the people that told you that you can't do it. Keep going. Thank you, guys. <laughs> this is David Green for Rob putting the man in manifestation Abisolo. Signing off. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.